Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Well, I've already had one day at the Hay Festival and that was very exciting. As you may have seen from the photos, not only did I have a very embarrassing QuickBook Reviews podcast fleece on me in bright orange, no less, I was also given a press pass by the Hay Festival. It was just very exciting. What did I see? What did I do? Oh, all sorts of incredible things. You know, you just feel like the top of your brain's been lifted off and your brain's been given a jolly good clean. And you're thinking, oh, yes, that's how to say bigger words that, you know, words that have more than four four letters in them. And oh, I don't know. It's just incredible. Got to meet Stephen Fry. And probably remember he was on the podcast a few months ago. And he said how good it was to meet me IRL. So that was jolly nice. He's he's just a nice, nice chap. Um, and he wrote some very funny comments about the archers in my book. So that was good. Um, but just all sorts of authors. I went in thinking, Philippa, you don't need to get a single book do not buy any books. You've got too many. Your bookshelves are going to collapse and the house will fall down. And uh, yes, yeah, I I got books. The, the thing was, the first event was supposed to be, um, well, it was a Lenny Henry event talking about a film he's been making. And it sounded really interesting. And the, the great thing is, mustn't grumble, when you get a press pass, you get the tickets for free. Very exciting. Um, obviously, on the days when I'm taking other people with me and can't be press person making press notes, I have paid for them. But anyway, so this was one. And you go in and you check that you're in the right theatre because they've got different theatres around the sort of campus. And then you have to get your tickets scanned to make sure it's a valid ticket. You go in, you sit down. And it's in the, uh, they call it the Bailey Gifford Auditorium. So it's really big, it's about 700 people. So you're quite hemmed in. Luckily, I was at the very front trying to keep us away from COVID as possible because if I'm not going to get COVID by the end of a week at Hay, then who knows? Anyway, um, so sitting at the front, but it was all very hemmed in. Then they closed the doors. I'm thinking, oh, this is good. And then um, someone comes out to do an introduction. I thought, oh. This is interesting. This is an introduction about um, virus research. I thought, I I don't think that's got anything to do with the film. And I just thought, this is very odd. And then proceeded to welcome out the world's leading authority on COVID research. And turns out they changed the venue at the last minute. And 
not updated my ticket. So, of course, I couldn't say anything. <laughs> I just sat there thinking, well, this isn't what I expected. But do you know what? I learned a lot. It was very interesting. Um, I was riveted for the time. It went quickly. So, yes, it was it was all good. But the I think the best, well, there were two standout events for me yesterday. One was um, Stephen Fry interviewing David Harewood, the actor, about his mental health history. And that was just, you know, it was a stop the clocks type thing. Everyone doesn't breathe. You're just listening to every word David was saying. It was extraordinary. And I have bought his book and I'm looking for it now. Uh, oh, yes, it's called Maybe I Don't Belong Here. And I've just started it really good. I had to get it. And of course, the great thing at the Hayfest was you can get your, you know, your, your books um, signed by the author. So that was amazing. And then the other really good one I went to was um, these books, a poem for every day, a poem for spring, a poem for winter. You know the ones. There's loads of them. Well, the new one is a poet for every day. And that was good. And they had different poets like Lemsisse, all, all sorts of poets come on and read the poems and actors. My goodness, some of the quality in acting was just, well, it was just mind-blowing. It really was. So, yes, those were good. Food was eaten. Uh, coffees were consumed. And I got home, oh, is it about 10 o'clock? And felt like I'd been out clubbing for like 24 hours. I was exhausted, but what a day. Um, so hopefully I've got another four days there. So next time I record this, uh, I can tell you more about it. And there's also some discussions at the moment with the Hay Festival to get them on because I'm just fascinated in hearing about how it all works, the sort of the highs and the lows and all, all of that. So anyway, enough about that. We've got some books to talk about this week. We really have. Let me tell you the books. We've got Gillian McAllister and her book, Wrong Place, Wrong Time. And Gillian is coming on to do the full interview. So really thrilled about that. Then we've got The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley by Sean Lusk. I cannot wait to tell you about that book. So hold on for that. Then we've got The Sea Women by Chloe Timms. And Chloe's coming on to answer the five questions in five minutes. Then we've got, prepare yourselves for this, Run Rose Run by Dolly Parton and James Patterson. Yes, we've had a bit of Memphis going on or Nashville or whatever. Anyway, and then the final book is Eight Detectives by Alex Pavasy. Now, one of these books wasn't a huge fan of and I'm going to be honest about it but the others yeah really enjoyed so let's get started let's deal with the first book straight away so Gillian McAllister wrong place wrong time this book I mean I've been hearing so much about people saying oh I've been you know I've been kept up all night reading this book and it's amazing and uh, yeah I can confirm it is. I mean, each time Gillian writes, her book seemed to get better and better. And her first book was really good. So, you know, where's she, where she going to stop? Anyway, here's the blurb. It's every parent's nightmare. Your happy, funny, innocent son commits a terrible crime, murdering a complete stranger. You don't know who. You don't know why. You only know your teenage boy is in custody and his future lost. That night you fall asleep in despair until you wake. And it is yesterday. Every morning you wake up a day earlier, another day before the murder, another chance to stop it. Somewhere in the past lie the answers and you don't have a choice but to find them. 
let's do the first sentence. Day zero, just after midnight. Jen is glad of the clocks going back tonight. A gained hour, extra time to be spent pretending she isn't waiting up for her son. I love this book. Page Turner, great thriller, grip you, different um, twists and turns. What what more could you ask for from a book? Get it, read it, love it. That's, that's, that's my quick book review this time. Some of my book reviews are very waffling. I do apologise. I do have to listen to them once in fear that I've made a mistake with the editing. <laughs> and the last one I heard, I just thought, good grief, Philippa. We could do it more succinctly, I think. So yes, this my review of uh, Wrong Place, Wrong Time is Get It, Read It, Love It. And there we go. But let's talk to Gillian now. So Gillian McAllister, whose latest amazing book is Wrong Place, Wrong Time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back. It's lovely to have you back because this book, my goodness, it's fresh. It's wonderful. How did you get the idea for it? Well, I think, I mean, it's kind of a a process with a lot of alchemy, I think. It's not clear to me where ideas come but I think it was probably watching Russian Doll. I don't know if you saw that on Netflix. Um, yeah. But I just sort of thought that Groundhog Day format has not really been done in a crime novel. Um, and then I was literally typing it out to my friend, my author friend, as I've written the transcript in the acknowledgements. Yeah. And it became quite an organic thing where I said, I think I want to do like a time loop novel. And then I said, but rather than every day one day before, two days before. And it seemed really normal to me because actually most, you know, detectives look in the past for history of crime and, you know, when somebody decided to commit it and what the evidence was leading up to it. And so in many ways, it's kind of deconstruction of a crime novel. Um, but yeah, um, it, it really did come quite fully formed. I didn't really realise how far back I would take it until I was planning it. And I sort of, it occurred to me that it might be quite fun and interesting not just to go a month back. Um, but yeah, uh, mostly the kernel just dropped from the heavens as they sometimes do. <laughs> I mean, it takes a certain type of author to, to put this, pull this book off, uh, which obviously you do, but... Was it quite hard from a technical side, the plotting and the writing? How many pieces of string did you need <laughs> to put on your wall with sort of pieces of paper? Yeah, I mean, without wanting to uh, big up the pandemic, I do think the fact that I wrote it in two lockdowns was helpful. Um, I'm lucky that I had a, a very boring experience of the pandemic rather than traumatic. But yeah, on one wall, I had a forwards timeline of like called what actually happened in order um and then in the other I had the timeline of the book which is obviously backwards and each morning I would just get a post-it note from each timeline for the same date and kind of be aware of what the reader knew and be aware of what I knew and then write the scene um so I think in some ways the, the bonkers structure forced me to be so organized that it was actually it I think it was probably the easiest book I've written which is um, not what you would expect, but um, sometimes the way of it, I think these books, just, it doesn't really make any sense. My current book's one of the work, like one of the hardest books I've ever written. <laughs> That's amazing though. So you weren't tempted to start writing it at the at the first date and write it, you know, in, in going forward, you, you literally went back as the reader goes back. Mm, 
No, I do tend to always write because like I've done a sliding doors novel and I'm sometimes asked if I wrote one timeline and then the other. And I do write it as the reader experiences because I think, I mean, it's quite a linear mystery, really. Like Jen finds things out day by day. You know, she finds out A and then B and then C and she has to add them up. So actually, I kind of feel like it, it's quite simple in a way, even though her days are travelling backwards. The things she finds out are in a logical order and I wrote it in that order, really, with her sort of consciousness and knowledge in mind. Yes, yeah, I can see that, actually. That that makes sense. And I loved how there was a conclusion at the end of the story and then there was a further page and then an epilogue. It felt like, in a way, you wanted to keep writing this story that there was almost more to tell. Yeah, I think, because it's quite expansive, really. You know, it's about motherhood, but it's also about organised crime. It's partly about, an, you know, there's an undercover policing storyline, but there's also the butterfly effect and sort of unintended consequences and the sort of notion of memory and deja vu. And, yeah, I felt I had quite a lot of things to tie up at the end, and I I always knew how to do that. Um, like, there's a big twist with missing baby, and it was always very clear to me what that twist would be. Um, and then I, I suddenly thought, like, this is going to... You know, the final twist, the epilogue, that also made logical sense to me. I'm trying not to spoil it for your listeners. Um, yeah, yes, so no it's don't. funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny how it felt to me as though I was excavating it rather than making it up, um, like I was discovering it, which is not mm. is not the case usually mm. for me in writing. I'm very aware I'm inventing it usually. And there's twists and turns. I mean, the, you know, the, all of them came as a surprise for me. And there was one where I was like, she didn't, she hasn't done that as a twist. That's just, you know, brilliant. That's what we want. But there must be a pressure on you because you are so well known for your amazing twists and turns. Is that a, is that quite a burden for you as an author? Well, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because my current book has a very, very big twist in the middle um, and I think it's just the job, actually, because that's the genre that we're in at the moment. And since, you know, Gone Girl and Girl on the Train, I think the sort of experience of writing and reading psychological fiction is twists to some extent. I I have a contract with myself that I won't just do a twist for no reason. You know, anyone can write a whodunit and then on the last page go, it wasn't them, it was this person. Um, yes. you know, I, I try to, I think the most satisfying twists are not the ones where you don't really understand. They're the ones where you're like, oh my God, how did I not see that? And that's what I try to do. Um, but yeah, there is a pressure on authors and there's a pressure on authors when you've had quite a universally loved book as this one is, um, to follow it up. Um, but I mean, every job has pressure and mm. this is certainly, you know, better than <laughs> better than most jobs. And with that pressure, do you find it easier if you've already written most of your next book before that book gets published? Does that help ease the pressure? Yeah, that is actually what I really try to do. It does because it's kind of like the writings on the wall and I've already done it before I knew 
how this one would be received. I mean, unfortunately, in a way, with Wrong Place, Wrong Time, it was blurbed by high-profile people very early. <laughs> so I've had that sort of audience looking over my shoulder feeling for many months, really. Um, I mean, it, it's blurbed by... If you could write a wish list um, of authors, yeah. it's pretty much Ian that. Rankin, yeah. Lisa Jewell, I know. Marianne Keys, Ruth Ware. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and the the things Amazing. they have said is um is truly remarkable really. Um so yeah, I have um you know, my new book is a very different type of book. Um but I think that's good and I think it's good for variety. You know, it would have been easy for me to write another book with a time slip in or you know, something like that, but I've written something completely in the middle of a crime novel like it's very recognizable as a crime novel because I wanted to sort of say to my readership I'm not I'm not doing mad experimental stuff now like the next novel isn't set in space or anything um but yeah I think there is there is constant pressure as an author particularly the more successful you get really um which Mm. any author who says they don't feel it is is lying I think yeah and I was interested in that in that because when you're at the top of your game as you know I mean I would say you are you have to be with this book is there is that pressure for the for the next book and when do you just say I've I've reached I'm happy with where I am and let's let's just ease off it Mm. it, it's what you do next yes it is I think I think the answer to it is variety really because you can kind of do a different book and do it really well um and I think that's Mm. I mean my I'm not capable of easing off and I and I don't think you know my agent and publisher would sort of let me um so you know my current book has a, a a really um what I think is a really cool twist in the middle and I'm really excited for it and I think um yeah it's not in my nature to go I've written my Wonderwall now and I'm just gonna produce sort of b-sides mm. um but yeah I think uh Wrong Place, Wrong Time is certainly my most well-loved book. And the average on Goodreads does frighten me because it's so high. Like, But I think um, I think as long as you never phone it in and you never write a book in five months that you deliver and go, yeah, it's all right, it's an okay crime novel, I think you'll be all right. As long as you... You know, I've been writing my current one for like 11 months and it's been a labour of love. And I think as long as you continue to do that, people will continue to read you even if each book isn't their new favourite, you know. They have favourites here and there. Yeah. Well, you're definitely an auto-buy for so so <laughs> many people. And particularly with this book, I've heard so many people saying that they've stayed up late to read the book, they had to keep going to finish it. Mm. You know, you are responsible for so many people walking around with bags under their eyes <laughs> and, and tired because they yes, didn't sleep. I mean, that... Think. Yeah, it, must be nice to know not sleep deprivation but you know that people are just consumed by your story yeah it's funny because it takes me you know a year and it it isn't to it isn't that I promote for half the year and edit for some of the year I literally write 365 days a year on one book um you know around promo and tours and edits um so it's strange to me that people do consume it in 24 hours <laughs> often, but it's very flattering. I mean, I that is the quintessential reading experience, isn't it? Where you're just, you're, it's insatiable. And I have it pretty seldomly. 
Um, so it's very nice to think I give it to other people. Well, you, you certainly do. I mean, you, you've gone through this transition from being a solicitor to author, you know, from a, an employment contract to salary to a, a permanency of, of a job to being an author where you're at the top of your game. But it feels it, it must feel a bit temporary because it's always what book you come out with next. And yet these books are a permanent record. Did, do you feel that you've gone through that change yourself? Yeah, I definitely do. And I do think my work ethic is to do with that. You know, I can't really fathom authors that kind of, but this is the opportunity of a lifetime for me. And I think I'd be mad not to, you know, I've just done eight drafts of a book before I've even delivered it to make sure it's as good as it can be. But I do think a lot of it is that kind of existential, you know, it's going to get taken away from me. I've got to stay on the treadmill, you know, to kind of Mm. make it work. But I think that's quite a normal reaction to quite an extraordinary, you know, it's extraordinary to get published and become a bestseller. And it's like being in a band that's topping the charts. And I think you've got to kind of ride the wave and hope you know, that you've you've got what it takes for the long haul, like people like Lisa Jewell that have written nearly 20 novels and they're all as good as each other, if not getting better. So, um, but yeah, I do kind of, you know, I never begrudge the work really for that reason. I never think I'd rather be out, you know, at a barbecue or something. I always think I'd rather be making sure the novel's good enough. Well, and, and they are, but you're one of the few authors I know who, you know, if you're not happy with how a story's, going you'll you'll delete hundred thousand yeah. words if you have to and, yeah. and start again because you strive for perfection yeah and I think I think it's like a hard truth but I think that's the way to be and not necessarily deleting because some people don't work like that I mean with this book I've deleted a hundred thousand words twice and then I deleted fifty thousand words <laughs> so um <laughs> it's extremely inefficient but I just think it's got any like I think you can write a book that's like a B plus but if you can if you've got to you've got to aim for an A star really because people dislike unexpected things I think um you know I've released books that to me were perfect and and people had problems with various elements of them and I think you've got to get it to what you think is an A star um because it still won't be (laughs) for other people so yeah I do uh I do work hard at it and I think people don't really like to hear that because it trashes your life <laughs> but um it's the right it's life you married to the job really yeah I, I'm interested what if if you could go back to when you were writing your first your very first book and you could whisper something in your ear what well, what would you say I think although I would like to advise myself how to make that book better I think I would probably go to you've just had your seventh bestseller because that me wouldn't have been able to believe it. Um, you know, that it's extraordinary what my publishers have done for me. Um, so I think I would say that because I felt on such shaky ground, you know, when I had an agent and then even when I had a publisher, I thought, well, you know, because it's, I mean, and I think it's quite a logical position really because it's quite hard to get a book to sell. You know, a lot of authors who write very, very good books, mm. the, the books come out to not very much, and that's a facet of the creative industry, really. Um, so it is an unstable career, and mm. we do all feel that, even if it looks to the outside. Like, my career probably looks pretty untouchable right now, but I do still 
fear the, the chart position and the sales um so yeah I think I would I would reassure myself <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay it's going to be more than okay yeah <laughs> pretty I mean, much that's what everyone is, wants to hear really <laughs> yeah this is your first hardback book as well I mean that's in, incredible that you've had you've gone through so many already and yet this is your first hardback has that been a different mm. experience or has it felt quite similar um, it has been quite different. I think, I mean, they're expensive. And so you have to have a core fan base who want to buy it. And that is, I, I definitely lost some sleep wondering if I had that. And it looks like I do, which is good. Um, and the promo was a lot more, you know, it, it was a big title for my publisher. And I was dispatched on a tour um, throughout most of April. I wasn't in my house very much. Um and a lot of promo, a lot of press. Um, so yeah, it was it was different. It was good though. I enjoyed it. Like I'm quite extroverted, so I enjoy that part of it. Even if I was, I think a lot of authors would have left the laptop at home, but I was writing my words at midnight <laughs> in my hotel room, which is probably mental. But um, it, you know, the book got done. So that's amazing. <laughs> Your uh, dedication to to writing those words is, is amazing we must just talk about the audiobook briefly because um it's narrated by leslie sharp who is an incredible actor did, did, did you get any choice or was she presented as the the one for the for the job no we did we had a few kind of possibles and then we started to think about northern actresses um or actors because we um we were kind of thinking we loved Nicola Walker doing How to Disappear and we were kind of thinking because it it gives it a different experience I think when they're an actor as well as a voice Mm. artist um yeah yeah so um and then we thought what about Leslie Sharp and and they approached her and luckily she she said she was a fan which I was I I was like oh my god um so yeah and I've listened to I've I've bought it and and listened to some of it um and uh yeah is it really has a almost like a a play type Mm. feel to it it's it's good isn't it she's so good yeah so I just listened to bits of it um and I thought oh I think I want to actually or even though I've read the book I think I want to listen Mm. to her because she adds something else to it as well which yeah, is lovely yeah she does exactly um so my last question is about the next book now I know you can't say very much but you have mentioned mentioned it when might we get get our mitts on it to read so it's actually previewed in wrong place wrong time so I think I can kind of say um so it's out on May the 11th next year it's called just another missing person um, and it follows um, Julia, who is a police officer in charge of uh, a missing woman case. Uh, the missing woman is called Olivia. Um, she's 22. She disappears into an alleyway that's blocked up and never comes out again. And Julia, um, a few years ago, did something to protect her family that was illegal. Um, and after her first day briefed on this case, she gets in her car and in the back is a man wearing a balaclava who says, I know what you did and I need you to do everything I say on this case. So it's about bribery, really. 
Um, I can see your your jaw has dropped, which is good. Yeah, my mouth <laughs> is wide open. <laughs> I'm just like, yes. I just wanted to read it now. I don't want to wish time away, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, Sounds it's great. different to Wrong Place, Wrong Time, as you can hear. It has a police procedural element. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's a cool book. It's got big cast characters. Um, and in the middle, it, it gets upended. So um, I'm looking forward to it coming out. Oh, how exciting. You just keep delivering them. Well, <laughs> Gillian McAllister, whose latest book is Wrong Place, Wrong Time. Thank you so very much. You're very welcome. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The next book I want to talk to you about, I have to talk to you about is The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley by Sean Lusk. Uh, well, I had I really didn't read anything about this book until I got into it. Wow. Here's the blurb. Zachary Cloudsley is remarkable, gifted in ways even he cannot perceive. But not all gifts are a blessing. Um, now, do you want the full do you want the full blurb? I don't know if. You, well, OK, let's do the full blurb. But basically, just this is a this is an astonishing book. OK, here we go. Raised amongst the cogs and springs of his father's workshop, Zachary Cloudsley has grown up surrounded by strange and enchanting clockwork automata. But most extraordinary of all are the things Zachary can see in other people. At the touch of a hand, he can perceive the secret desires, regrets and inner workings of the people he meets. When his father, Abel, is forced to travel to Constantinople, Zachary is troubled. 
He can sense the betrayal and danger his father will find amongst the city's bazaars, palaces and mosques. But Abel has no choice. He must leave London and his beloved son. Soon letters cease to arrive and whispers reach Zachary that his father has disappeared within the city's walls. Seven years later and on the edge of adulthood, Zachary is compelled to follow his father across Europe to Constantinople. He is determined to unravel the secrets that led to Abel's disappearance before time runs out for them both. And the first sentence is part one, chapter one, life and death. Leadenhall stinks this morning of soot and shit and inexplicably of nutmeg. Dr Pike has been in the bedchamber all night with Alice, ejecting Abel from the room four times already, wafting his meaty hand in the air along with words of greasy reassurance. Um, it's an amazing, amazing book. It starts in the sort of 1750s and goes on. Whether you like historical books or not, I would say, I mean, having read that that blurb, uh, I mean, I'm, it's not for me to criticise a blurb, but I will say, I think, it, I think it tells you too much. All you need to know is that you need to read this book. I loved it. So different. It's not. It's not a crime. It's not a thriller. It's not. What is this book? I don't know. And I don't care. It's just a great book. Please read it because I think you will love it. The cover's gorgeous as well. And actually, I read this. I had to read this book and I had to read After Dark by Jane Cowie, which I reviewed last week. Another great book. And I just I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't that the books weren't great. It was just I had a lot of stuff on my mind and I couldn't get in the reading zone. You know, sometimes you just can't switch off. And I did this new thing that I'm going to be doing lots called read one chapter and change. And that is read one chapter of one book and immediately go to the next book and read one chapter and sort of zigzag it like that. It worked a treat. I love both books. It didn't. I mean, they're very different books, so I didn't get confused at all. And it was just a great way to do it. So if you're in a bit of a reading slump, not because there aren't great books, but just because whatever you've got going on in your life, I really recommend that because it well, it worked for me. But The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley by Sean Lusk. What what a wonderful book. Loved it. Now, the next book is The Sea Women by Chloe Timms. And luckily enough, we've got Chloe coming on, but I better read you the blurb. Esther has known nothing but Eden's Isle her whole life. After a fire left her orphaned and badly scarred, Esther was raised by her grandmother in a deeply religious society that cut itself off from the mainland in the name of salvation. Here, fear rules. Fear of damnation, fear of the outside world and fear of what lurks beneath the water, a corrupting evil the islanders call the sea women. But Esther wants more than a life where touching the water risks corruption, where her every move is watched and women are controlled in every aspect of their lives. Married off, the women of the island must conceive a child within their appointed mother year or be marked as cursed and cast into the sea as a sacrifice in an act called the untethering. When Esther witnesses a woman untethered, she sees a future to fear. Her fate awaits a loveless marriage, her mother year declared, and after a brief taste of freedom, the insular world, Esther knows, begins to unravel. Ah, let's do first sentence. First sentence, the untethering. I've got my fingers pushed right into my ears, and the screaming softens. But even with my fingers in, the woman is still making a noise as she's held back, her chin all wet 
and shiny with spit. She doesn't make any words now, just screams. Oh, if you're, yeah, this is a dystopian book with a difference. If you are into your Handmaid's Tale, then you, yeah, it's so well written. Um, remarkable debut novel, it really is. I'd often wonder what would happen if the roles were reversed and if it was the sort of the the men going through the difficulties rather than the women. You know, that's uh, I'd I love this book and I'd like to read it. I'd love it to be rewritten a second time and have it reversed. So Chloe, if you if you don't mind, could just write another one as well. Chloe can write. My goodness, such a talented author. Um, I think this book is going to do really well. But you've heard me. I loved it. Let's talk to Chloe now. So Chloe Timms, author of The Sea Women, welcome to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Hi, Philippa. I'm really thrilled to be here with you today. Absolutely honoured to be asked on. Your first question. Can you describe your book? In under a minute. Yes, so my novel, The Sea Women, it's my debut novel, and it's been described as The Handmaid's Tale meets The Shape of Water. So it's a dystopian novel with a fantastical twist, and it's about a young woman called Esther, and it's a coming-of-age story for her. She lives with her grandmother on a very remote, cold, isolated island that's run by a very strict religious cult who preach a lot about fear, fear of the outside world, fear of the sea, also fear of these women in the water they know as the sea women. And Esther has her life mapped out. She knows she's got to get married. She's got to know she's got to have children. But she is a very different sort of girl. She's very curious about the world and she wants more from life. And one day she does has a little taste of freedom and her, the world that she knows begins to unravel. Oh, that's a great summary. Was it? Were there some scenes that were hard to write because you know that you cover a lot in the in the book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it might horrify some writers or readers out there to know that at one point I'd written about one hundred and seventy five thousand words, and my agent said to me, "I'm really sorry, but I've cut seventy five thousand words," and so that was a huge loss of what I'd written. But it's part of the writing process that you have to lose certain scenes, lose certain characters. And there's certainly scenes in there when I read now that I think that scene took me so long to write to get it right. But there are some scenes that are like, for example, my opening chapter is almost identical to the opening chapter that I originally wrote. That hasn't changed hardly at all because I had it in my mind very clearly what I wanted it to be. And luckily it kind of translated on the page like that as well. I mean, from the first sentence, it sort of grabs the reader by by the throat and you're you're straight in. There's no, oh, I wonder, you know, what this story is going Mm. to be like. I love that sort of story where you're just immediately sucked in and you know exactly what's well, you find out very soon what's what's mm. going on and, and all that's happening. And who's your favourite smaller character in the book? This is probably going to, again, if, if people have read the book, this might horrify them. My favourite to write is probably Father Jessup, who is the leader of the cult, because he's just such a despicable <laughs> person. And it's, I don't know, I, I guess it's a lot of actors say they, they love playing the evil roles. And I, I as a writer, I love writing the evil characters I think it it's really interesting to explore the kind of dark side of human nature and what 
you know, power corrupts and, and what happens when someone gets so power hungry that they turn into this just horrendous person. So, so yeah, it might be unusual to say, but the, the villain of the piece is, was my favourite to write. No, that, that makes sense. There's so much character in there. Isn't mm. there? There's lots, lots to, to mine. Um, third question. Can you describe your book in three words? So I would say atmospheric, haunting, and unnerving. Oh, yes, I'd agree. Very good. Yes, very good selection. Uh, next question is, what was your favourite food and drink that you consumed while you were writing this book? Be honest. Well, I'm not a big eater while I write, mainly because I'm such a messy eater that I'd get crumbs in my keyboard. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm a huge Diet Coke fan <laughs> and I, I won't accept any substitutes for that. So <laughs> it was always a Diet Coke. Um, I must say, when I was... After I'd kind of finished writing, my go-to snack, which I probably ate far too many of, were um, cheese and chilli Pringles, which now I've kind of gone off because I've eaten them so much. <laughs> so do you think if you ate one now, it would take you straight back to when you were in the middle of writing the book? Yeah, it might do. It might. It, hopefully it would give me good memories, but it might be... You know, I might have eaten more on the days that I was finding it particularly tough to write. I'm not sure. <laughs> we won't judge you. That's that's fine. And the last question is, what's been the best moment so far in your writing career? I'd probably say hearing from readers, reviewers who've had early copies of the book, because until you, writing is very much you're in your own head and you get, you know, you get lovely feedback from people that you maybe in writers groups or my obviously my agent my editor but until people outside of that bubble had read it and given me feedback and, I, and I've had people say this is my favorite book I've read this year or it's the best book I've read of the year so far and I've had some amazing comments and I, I loved recently someone said that they thought the ending was the most perfect ending for the book and I that just made me so happy because I don't know this person it's a bit different from when you know friends or family or your mum reads your book and they go oh it's great and obviously that's lovely but they're your loved ones so hopefully they would love it anyway but when it's someone you don't know when it's a stranger saying to you this really moved me or uh, you know someone said that they thought Esther was they're like one of their favorite characters to read and that just really touched me because it's so nice to know that other people love your work and they they see things in it and they have their own interpretations of how it ends or how they feel about certain characters and that's been the best bit so far wonderful well chloe Timms, we wish you all the success with this wonderful book the sea women thank you for joining me today thank you philippa it's been lovely and then we need to move on because dolly parton calls us oh yes she does so um I was asked, would I read this book, Run, Rose, Run, by Dolly Parton and James Patterson? And I have to admit, when I first saw it come out, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think, oh, that's a book for me. <laughs> I really enjoyed this book. I really did. I mean, I used to watch some of Nashville, I have to say. And um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. OK, here's here's the blurb. Um Oh, that's not the blurb. That's people writing about it, saying what a wonderful thing it is. Here we go. <laughs> Here's the blurb. Find a future, lose a past. She's a star on the rise, singing about the hard life behind her. She's also on the run. Nashville is where she's come to claim her destiny. It's also where the darkness she's fled might find her and destroy her. It's... It's a lot of fun. It really is. You've got this great story of this, you know, a woman arriving in Nashville 
and you're rooting for her to make it. You know, there's some history there, but you don't know what it is. And she's got a fight on her hands and she meets all sorts of characters. There's even a playlist to go with it. Um, and yeah, it's captivating. Yes, it's a bit of fun, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good read. So if you've seen it and thought, oh, am I tempted? I don't know. Get it. Because I think if you tempted, if you were tempted, you would enjoy it. Listen, it's not it's not out to be a complicated, um, horrific, detailed crime book, thriller book. It's That's not what it is. But there, it is a thriller and it's got the music element and you learn stuff about the music industry. And yeah, could, I think you can tell that I'm smiling as I'm talking about it because that's how I felt. Obviously, there's some terrible things happening in the book not to smile about but yeah I thought it was a I thought it was a lot of fun so here we go Annie Lee had been standing on the side of the road for an hour thumbing a ride when the rain started falling in earnest wouldn't you know it she thought as she tugged a gas station poncho out of her backpack it just figures um, yeah, so I don't need to say any more if you're tempted read it because I think you'd enjoy it uh, the final book and this is one I didn't enjoy this book. I'm not going to tag the author in this because it's just my view. I've had a look at the reviews and they're mixed. Some people absolutely loved this book. So don't don't um, listen to me at all. It's completely up to, you know, we're all different. Uh, yeah, OK, let me let me do the blurb on this one. All murder mysteries follow a simple set of rules. In the 1930s, Grant McAllister, a mathematics professor turned author, worked them out, hiding their secrets in a book of crime stories. Then Grant disappeared. 30 years later, ambitious editor Julia Hart arrives on a secluded island. She intends to republish these mysteries and she's finally tracked Grant down. But there's something curious about his seven murderous tales. The story's secrets seem to offer clues to a real crime a mystery that's remained unsolved for 30 years. Julia's come looking for answers, but now she's locked in a battle of wits with a dangerously clever adversary who wrote the book on murder. And here we go. Chapter one, Spain, 1930. The two suspects sat on mismatched furniture in the white and almost featureless lounge, waiting for something to happen. Between them, an archway led to a slim, windowless staircase, a dim recess that seemed to dominate the room, like a fireplace grown to unreasonable proportions. I I had the book. Um, it was a book club choice. And I had the book already on my bookshelves. I've been sent it, I think, in a book box. So I've actually got a signed edition. And yet, with all the books I had to read, I just thought, no, I need to listen to this on audiobook to get it done in time for book club sadly we didn't get to do the book club meetup so I don't know what the others thought about it yet um but it could be that listening to the audiobook was my downfall so again I would suggest that this is one to read rather than listen to because that it's well written immediately I was grabbed with the first chapter I was liking what happened I was intrigued but I just kept getting more and more confused because each story I enjoyed listening to, there was the how, you know, who done it, all of that. That that was great. But I felt like there was more to it and I was I was missing it, that I should be seeing all these connections and I didn't understand. And I just got more and more 
not blasé about it, but I just I stopped caring about it because I didn't understand it. And that's why I think if I'd read it, it would have it would have been better. I think I am struggling with audiobooks at the at the moment. So, yeah, it it's original. It's different. It's crime based. But I, I didn't get on with it at all. I'm sorry. But that is just me. And I'm sure that there are lots of people, there are, who've really enjoyed it. So not for me, sadly, um, but I'm going to put it out in the world and give it to people who will love it, I'm sure. So that that's your lot this week. My goodness, we've covered a range. Some great books, mainly some really, really good books. And I hope there have been... I hope there's been lots of books here that you're thinking, oh, yes, I need to acquire those one way or another. So we have had Wrong Time, Wrong Place by Gillian McAllister and Gillian kindly joined us for the interview. Thank you so much, Gillian. Great, great book. Then we had The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley by Sean Lusk. What a book. Get that, read it. So already we're, we're got two great books. Then we've got The Sea Women by Chloe Timms, another good read. Then we've got, and I'm laughing again as I say it, Run, Rose, Run by Dolly Parton and James Patterson. Do you know, when I started this podcast, I never thought I'd be saying <laughs> the name Dolly Parton on it, but I have done several times today. And the last book was Eight Detectives by Alex uh, Pavesi. Sorry, not for me, but for lots of people. So... My my bad. Listen to it on audio, but and that was probably my mistake. But there we go. That's your lot. Listen, I need to get back to catching up on some work before I'm back off to the Hay Festival, and I'll tell you more about it. Um, there's a there's a lot of calories to be <laughs> to be consumed because the food is, mwah, and uh, obviously some great books, some great authors to me, and just lots of fun. So. Look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.